So today is uh, English. Today I would like to talk about the law of karma, or karma as we say in English. And first off, it, this is one of those things that we have to understand is very difficult to teach with any certainty. The Lord Buddha himself said that only a Buddha can truly understand the workings of karma. And so I don't pretend to fully understand how karma works. I want to say that off the, off the bat. But the other thing, the thing that we, the, the other side, is that certainly through the practice, anyone who practices meditation is able to understand karma on a rudimentary level. Though we might not completely understand uh, sort of on a broad or on a... Uh, we might not get the full picture. We can certainly, without any doubt, come to understand the basics of how karma works. So whereas before we might have understood that there were certain actions that in and of themselves were unwholesome or wholesome, certain things that we did were good, certain things we did were bad, just because of the, the action, the physical uh, results or the physical uh, movements of, of the body or physical sp the speech and so on. So we might have thought that prostrating to a Buddha or uh, wearing special uh, ornaments or keeping things with us is somehow good karma. We might have thought that uh, put not putting religious items or letting them fall on the ground or uh, you know, breaking things and so on would be bad karma. In the West, we have this thing about breaking mirrors, as an example. Walking under ladders, all of these. Letting a black cat cross your path. But once we come to meditate, we come to understand exactly what is real karma. And real karma is completely men a mental thing. It has nothing to do with the physical. In fact, you don't have to do anything to create karma. You just sit there and you, you have a good thought in your mind, the intention to do this or the intention. If it's a real intention, even before you do the action, or even if you have no chance to do the action, karma has arisen. You've done something. You've changed who you are. It's completely a mental thing. You can step on an ant. If you didn't see the ant and you step on the ant and the ant dies, you can see very clearly that it has nothing to do with your own state of mind. Unless, of course, you, 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 you then misunderstand and, and get worried that maybe you've created bad karma. This happens. I've seen this in Thailand. I was with a man who, who hit a dog with his car. But the thing, ha what happened is the dog ran in front of the car and, you know, basically got itself run over. 
he didn't run it over. He certainly had no intention, but he was he freaked out, and he was really scared that he had done something terrible. So I guess you have to qualify that that yes, things which are not karmic can suddenly become karmic. Where you know obviously he 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 had no bad intentions towards the dog, but he he created this karmic activity as a result uh, because he wasn't able to be mindful and 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 use wisdom and understanding and see that it, obviously he had no fault in the action. So he got all freaked out and worried and created bad karma for himself, created suffering for himself. Uh, so this is one qualifier, but uh, clearly there's no direct karma from killing. Other people who say you can't eat meat because when you eat meat that's a bad karma, it's the same as killing. Nowadays they bring this up and they did it the same in the Buddha's time. In the Buddha's time, they said, uh, there, well, the giants were said that if you tell a person to kill, and that person goes and kills, then you have the same karma. You are you have this. You have you are responsible for the karma of killing, or the karma of killing is on your conscience. It means you will experience the same fate as the killer. And the Buddha denied this, which you know, gives us some understanding, reassurance as meditators, because obviously every karma is directly related to your mind. If you really want to kill someone and you put all the effort out to kill them, it's a very weighty karma. If you just get angry at someone and you're fighting and they die, then it's a less weighty karma. If you just tell someone to kill someone, it's a far less weighty karma. It's bad. This is, this, don't, don't mis misunderstand telling anyone to kill anything is breaking the first precept, is breaking the precept on killing. But it's not, the Buddha denied that it was the exact same karma. And it's certainly much less weighty or much more weighty to actually go out and kill someone. So all in all, as meditators, we can clearly see the workings of karma. We can see how it's, it's a very natural thing. It would be ridiculous to think that every act of killing had the same uh, karmic responsibility or eating meat had some sort of karmic karmic uh, results it generally does because people feel guilty and they, they start to intellectualize like well my eating meat is meaning people want to give me more meat and when people want to give me more meat then they have to go and buy it and when they go and buy it then people that means the buyer gets encouraged to kill more and that means more animals have to die so I'm killing by eating the meat and if you don't meditate, this one is very difficult to see. It's very difficult to see that that's actually all just a bunch of, of uh, intellectual um, distraction, that the mind is, is, is actually creating karma because of this thinking, this sort of thinking. It's creating views, it's creating uh, theories. It's not, nothing to do with reality. Actually, when you're eating the meat, you can be completely pure. A Buddha, an Arahant can eat meat completely pure. This is as an example. And for when we meditate, these are the things that we can see. So today I'm going to just give a little bit of clarity, add a little bit of clarity from the Buddha's teaching as far as karma to sort of help us to understand what it is that we're seeing and uh, give us even some understanding that we might not be able to see through the meditation. Some of the Lord Buddha's teachings on karma. Also to help us understand more about how it is very much directly related to the mind. And we generally call this the 12 
the set of 12 different karmas or the 12 fold karma uh, enumeration however you want to, to call it tw the, the karma the 12 karmas and the 12 karmas are are made up of three sets three sets of four and these are the enumeration of, of how we understand karma in Buddhism it doesn't mean see karma is not just when you do or do something automatically you have a result why why what's wrong with that when that that sort of understanding is fatalistic that sort of understanding is not in line with reality and this is something we have to be very careful about people sometimes think karma means fatalism meaning that you know all of the acts that we've done are just perpetuating into the present moment and in the present moment all we're doing is following those karmas and all we're going to do in the future is, is create more karmas based on that. So there's no way to escape from, from suffering. The karma has the same result over and over. Every karma has, has the same result and so on. And actually this is not true. All the Lord Buddha meant by the, Lord, by the law of karma, and he made this very clear, is that if something is going to give a result, it gives a result based on its nature. So if I do some bad deed, it doesn't mean that that, is, that bad deed is automatically going to bring a result. It means that if, that if that deed is going to bring a result, because it was a bad deed, it's going to bring a bad result. It doesn't necessarily bring a result. And as you'll see as I talk about this, it's not even that clear. Sometimes it brings about a, a large result, a great result. Sometimes it brings about a less, lesser result. And the Lord Buddha said in the Anguttara Nikaya, he said, sometimes a very great evil deed can be done by someone and they don't go to hell, they, go, they still go to heaven. Sometimes a person can do a very small evil deed and as a result of that very small evil deed, they go to hell. When they die, they, they, they go to be born, reborn in hell. And if you don't understand in terms of how the mind works and how meditation, uh, through meditation, how the, the mind works, this is very difficult to see. People don't understand this. So we have to be clear on this, that uh, karma and meditation are very, very, very much related. The understanding of karma has to come through the direct examination of the mind. It can't come through intellectualizing. It can't come through theory or you know adding up karma plus karma plus karma or so on. It has to come from from reality, from our understanding of reality. And so how this works, how karma works, there are the three sets. The first set is how karma has results in terms of time, you know, in terms of, of uh, when, when it gives results. The second set is in which order it gives results. And the third set is how, how, it gives, how it gives results. In what way, in what manner it gives results. And so there's different here. Not all karma gives, gives results in the same time period. Not all karma gives results in, in, with the same uh, sequence, in the same... Um, hierarchy, there's a hierarchy to it. And not all karma gives results in the same way, in the same manner. And if we study Abhidhamma, this becomes even even more intricate 
you know, the 24 uh, Pachaya, the 24 conditions, Hetu Pachaya, Aramana Pachaya, and so on. And so it, there's many different ways things can be causally related. And when we study when we study Abhidhamma, we understand that actually karma is is every moment that we see, hear, smell, taste, feel, or think, or every sequence of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, or thinking. There's a karma. There's in fact seven karmas, and these are called the jawana, the seven jawana. So the first four, we, let's explain the jawana in terms of the first four. The first four karmas. Or the first way of explaining karma in a fourfold way is in terms of when it's going to give a result. So some karma gives a result in the present life. This is called dita dhamma vedaniya karma. Some karma gives result in the next life. This is called aparapariya vedaniya karma. Some karma gives result in some future life and this is called ah sorry the one the one that gives result in the next life is called samparai 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 samparaya kamma samparaya vetaniya kamma the third type which gives result in some future life is called aparapara vetaniya kamma the the pali is not so uh, not so necessary. I'm sorry. It's kind of a, just a habit. Um, sometimes bringing up the Pali helps to um, give some authority to what I'm saying. That you don't think I'm just coming up with this. There's actually something in the Tipitaka about this. So when you hear the Pali words, it, it gives us understanding. It also, uh, if we've heard of this before, it lets you know what what word I'm translating from. But it's not so important. And the fourth one is called Ahosikamma. Ahosi is a word which means already, already occurred, or already, uh, or happened before. It's a past tense verb, so it means karma which has already given its result and is not going to give result anymore. So how this works in terms of jawana? When you see something, there are, there's a whole series of minds which arise, and there's one period. Once you determine, once you decide whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, whether you like it or you don't like it, there's a period of seven minds that just flash on and off and give result and are karmically potent. So that's the point where the mind gives rise to liking or disliking, where the mind uh, creates tanha, creates upadhana, creates uh, all sorts of unwholesome or wholesome mind states. And the first, they say the first mind of these seven gives, if, it, if it's going to give results, it will give results in this life. The seventh of those is, if it gives results, it's going to give results in the next life. And the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth, if they give result, they're going to give result in some future life. So we just understand, when we see something, there's a series of, of mind moments that are karmically potent. It's very hard for us to see. In fact, you might say that only a Buddha could, could likely see this clearly. But this is why some karma gives result in, the, in this life, some gives in the next life, some gives in some future life. This is why 
we have all sorts of strange things happening in this life sometimes coincidences sometimes um, good good things happen or we're pushed into doing good things sometimes we want to do good things and we're not able to do them no matter how hard we try uh, there's cases for instance people want to ordain as a monk or a nun uh, but they just don't have what it takes and they aren't able to make it or sometimes uh, people don't even think about it and suddenly they become a monk or they become a nun uh, sometimes as far as meditators go they come and they're maybe not even that interested but somehow it just catches on and suddenly they're finishing the course with flying colors other people they might be very in interested in coming very keen to finish the course and maybe they want to meditate I often got this in Thailand. We had this on our website. We made it clear that people could come for long term. And this was great because there's a lot of people around the world who want to find a long term retreat. They're very gung ho to do a three month, a six month retreat. But what we found is that there wasn't anybody who could do it. There wasn't anybody who could last more than a month, a month and a half w without just freaking out and having to go home. Oh, sorry, that's not, not exactly true. Without coming to the point where they said, that's enough, that's enough, I, I need to go home and, and take care of uh, many, many things. And so we have, to, we have to understand something about our karma, that it does have a very great impact on who we are. And a lot of it's in our past that we can't even see. Some people are born with very good uh, karma. We call it upanisaya. This is what we're creating through the practice. If nothing else, we're creating Upanisaya. Now, upanisaya is something like a, a prior condition or a, a sort of a general uh, character characteristic that we, we carry with us from lifetime to lifetime. So an example of Dita Dhamma Vedaniya Kamma, the Kamma that has resulted in the present life. This is very important for people who don't believe in things like rebirth and so on, people who still understand the world in terms of a physical uh, frame. You know, they think that this body is what's real and uh, when it dies, that's it. When the body breaks apart, suddenly there's death and that's it. For these people, they, they have a very hard time understanding karma. This is because they haven't done meditation. They haven't come to understand the world in terms of a mind. They haven't come to see what reality is, that it's very much mind-based. It has nothing to do with, the, or very little to do with the body. But for, for these people, and this is the majority of people, because most people haven't meditated, it's, it's still very easy to explain about the law of karma. You don't need to believe in rebirth or, or past lives to understand karma. You can just ask yourself, when you do a bad deed, do you not feel bad about it? And do other people not uh, chastise you for it? And, and is there not punishment where people send you to jail and so on? These these things, you, when you sit alone and you know, even in sitting in meditation, for meditators we can see this very clearly. Very, very clearly we can see present life karma. Because we sit in meditation and everything goes through our minds. So you can just imagine what what happens to someone who's done very bad deeds when they sit alone. These are the kind of people who can't sit still. They sit down and all this guilt comes over them or all this 
remembrance comes over them and, and they keep, just have to keep pushing it away. And often the only way to push it away is to just keep doing worse and worse things, to keep indulging in the, in the unwholesomeness. So it's very clear we don't have to think of karma as something like a, a next life thing or a past life thing. We do a lot of very strong karma in this life and it gives very strong results in this life. And the examples of past life karma, uh, we have people who uh, maybe are born with sicknesses, people who are born poor, people who are born rich. Uh, the Lord Buddha had many, many descriptions of why people are born rich and poor and healthy and sick and smart and dumb and uh, famous or, or or not famous uh, sh short-lived or short-lived or long-lived it's it's in the the Manjima Nikaya there's all, there's many there's several discourses on karma for instance when you torture other beings you know people who torture rats or people who torture animals people who say things to hurt other people people who get angry a lot. These are the people who are very sick, very sickly. These are the people who, are, who have much great sickness. They might live a long time, but they, they have many sicknesses, maybe lots of pain in the body or so on. People who have killed many beings, these are the people who live short lives. They may be very healthy, but then they die suddenly. They can die early generally because they've done bad and they've done much killing in past lives. This is something which we can't see but it, it does sort of add a little bit um, you know once you're able to understand this takes understanding. Once you understand things in terms of the mind once you understand how, how the mind is actually um, much more real than any physical uh, object then you come to see, you come to see how your 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 life is very much uh, barred, hemmed in by all of these karmas, all of these things that you've done in the past life. You can see how no matter what you do, you're you're very much fixed in your surroundings. You're very much fixed in your reality. There's not much we can do to make ourselves. You know, we're poor. It's very hard for us to become rich if we don't have the past karma. Some people work very hard all their lives and never become even moderately rich. And some people don't work hard at all and they find that they're able to uh, be quite well off. So this has to do with past karmas. And the fourth one, ohosikamma. This means that some karmas just don't, aren't able to give results. Uh, sometimes we do something and uh, because of some, and this I'll talk about it in the other sections, because of some other karma we've done or because of uh, some situation that we find ourselves in, it's just just like any physical process. Sometimes it's not able to come to fruit because of an opposing force, uh, because it didn't get an, uh, an opportunity. So this is the important, the important thing to realize is that karma is not fatalistic. There is, there's what we call a hosi karma, where you do something and it just doesn't give a result. Um, this is this is not saying 
some people might misunderstand that this is not saying that karma doesn't have results. Uh, it's, just, it's just saying it's not completely sure. It, doesn't, it means you're taking a chance. When you, basically, when you do something bad, it's not sure that it's going to give you a bad result. But if it does, it's going to give you a bad result. And generally, because there's seven jawana in each action we do, Generally, one of them is going to give a result. Sometimes it gives a result in this life, but it's not able to give a result in the next life, or in some life in the future time where it would have given a result, it's not able to, and therefore it's called ahosikam. So this is the first set of karma that we, we understand. And we have to understand it that we're doing this at every moment. Every moment that we're not mindful, when we see something and we fail to... We fail to say to ourselves, seeing, we fail to understand it clearly that this is seeing. And said we like it or we don't like it. Right away we've done karma. And if, if you're not practicing, you can't understand how this relates on a big, large scale. But when you practice meditation, you can see how we're actually building up and building up uh, unwholesome states. You know, For instance, meditators who have lots of anger and they don't acknowledge it after a day or two, they can see it, it makes them explode. Suddenly they can't meditate, suddenly they're not able to walk, not able to sit, because it builds up, and this is what gives rise to bodily and physical karma. We let these things build up and build up until they become uh, some form of clinging that we're unable to let go of. So this is the first set of karma, is when it gives a result. So every not every karma we're going to be able to see, where some people, they give gifts and they think they're going to become rich, but... I mean, generally that sort of thing is what you have to wait for in future lives. If, you, if your wish is to become rich, you have a hard time doing it if you're poor in this life. Because, of course, the, the human birth is, is a very coarse existence and it's very fixed. We've got a lot of heavy karma that we're dealing with being born a human. And these are things that we should, we should not, not, become, uh, not become deluded into thinking that somehow we're going to do all this karma and suddenly we're going to be uh, we're going to change our physical surroundings when the physical is very hard to change in this life the physical changes much more slowly than the mental conversely we have to understand it's very important that we understand that karma is something that's very important for the mind in this very life if we've never done good deeds if we've never been generous People say, you don't have to give gifts, you don't have to keep morality, you don't have to be generous, you don't have to be kind. Just come and practice meditation and everything will work out. And it doesn't work that way. If you've never done these things, you, you've never built up this good karma. Meditation is very difficult. When you come to practice, you all you've got is bad things coming up all the time. It's possible, but it's very difficult. In fact, for some people it is impossible. Because they've never done any good deeds in this life. The mind changes very quickly. So good karma that we do, when we do make good karma, it has results in this life on a mental level. It can't easily change the physical, but it can very easily change the mental. And this is why meditation is possible. This is why enlightenment is possible. Because we can change the direction of the mind. Maybe we're still sickly or we're still, uh, unha un uh, we're still poor or have many problems externally but inside our mind, inside we have happiness and peace because we're able to change the mind through our karma through generosity through helping other people uh, 
through morality, through keeping precepts, and through meditation by developing uh, developing wholesomeness and clarity of mind. So this is the first set. Very important that we understand that we that we don't put aside the law of karma and that we do do our best to make only good karma. And to, every time we do karma, good karma, to make a determination that it should be something to help us to become free from suffering and to practice meditation and so on. That everything we do should be for the purpose of, of our continued meditation practice. The second set of four is in terms of order or hierarchy. The karma doesn't give us, give uh, all, all give in the same order or all have the same potency. And this is generally referring to the moment of death. Or I suppose you could say it's most clear at the moment of death. And there are four types of karma that give results at the moment of death. The first one is a heavy karma. The second one is a karma that is done at the moment of death. The third is a habitual karma. And the fourth is an ordinary karma. And these have Pali words for them. Uh, kuru karma, asana karma, pahula karma, or uh, achinna karma. And the fourth one, I think it's called kata karma. It just means karma that you've just done. So how this works is at the moment when you die, well, first of all, there are certain karmas which give a result above and beyond anything else you've done. You could have been a really, really good person, but if you killed your mother or killed your father, uh, this takes precedence. If you killed an arahant, if you uh, hurt the Buddha, hurt a Buddha, or if you caused a schism in the, the Sangha, if you tried to break up the Buddha's religion, you tried to hurt the group of, of, of uh, disciples of the Lord Buddha, causing them to, to divide or breaking up Buddhism, for instance. These things are called karukama. These are things which have, which take precedence over any other karma you, you might have done. And they send you straight to 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 hell, to a suffering existence, because they're very extreme. This is something which we don't understand. People don't understand how how severe it is to, for instance, kill one's mother and one's father. And there's an interesting, Mahasi Sayada gave an interesting talk about this. Uh, he said, as far, as far as those people who have their parents on life support, for instance, or their, their parents are severely ill, and so the children think to put them out of their misery, to uh, allow them to find peace, to, to rest at peace. So they give them a lethal injection or so on. I think nowadays it's, it's illegal. I'm not sure. In some countries I think it still is legal. Uh, I'm sure in some countries. But I think in America and Canada it's illegal. I once gave, wrote a paper on this. And we have to separate this out. Now... It's not killing your parents when you take them off life support, for instance. When you stop giving them, stop extending their life. Suppose you stop giving them medication which is necessary for them to keep, to, to stay alive in the case where they're suffering terribly and keeping them alive is, 
uh, simply prolonging things. It's um, or it's not clearly killing. I mean, this one I think is debatable. You probably have to be fairly careful in in, in deciding in terms of this one. But I think it's it's not clear that this is any sort of killing. Uh, and it's the same in terms of, say, for your own self. If you're if you're sick, and you know there's a medicine you could be taking and you decide not to take it, well, could anyone say that you're guilty of suicide? And no, the answer is of course not. Your mind, in your mind, there's no desire to to die. There's just no desire to live on. So you 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 just let things go uh, according to nature. But at the moment, when you give some poison or you, you you cause you bring about a person's death directly, wishing for them to die, uh, if it's your parents, then in this case, it's 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 a very scary thing. Something that we don't really think about. So these things give prece take precedence. The second one is asana kamma, and this is at the moment of death when you have some karma arise in the mind where you. Uh, suddenly get angry or suddenly uh, become greedy or you suddenly do something uh, at the moment of death and so at the moment of death you give rise to to some state of some unwholesome state that generally takes precedence in in, in next in order because it's at the moment of death that you know, where everything flashes before your eyes and if you hold on to something and you make a volitional act wishing for this to arise or wishing for this to go away at that moment that gives rise to um, the patisanti the, the relinking consciousness which gives rise to future rebirth but if there's no asana kamma then there's what we call a chinna kamma which is karma which is habitual and this one is also interesting uh, it's interesting how a, a kamma is something which slowly takes over who you are for instance people who have never if you've never drink and al drank alcohol it's a very painful or, or, or unpleasant thing but as you do it more and more it becomes a very easy thing uh, when you kill living beings, if anyone's ever hunted or so on, they know how this is. The first time you do it, it's very difficult. But as you do it again and again, it becomes much easier. It sort of takes over who you are. And as a result, this is also very potent. In general, this is the one which we, we find uh, taking precedence in, at the end of our life because it's what's going to come up the most clearly at the end of our life. Whatever we've done often, this is what's going to. So in the case for meditators, when we practice meditation and when we're mindful again and again and again, we're, we're building up this, this uh, tendency, this habitual karma, where we're habitually mindful. And so the idea here is not only during our lives, but at the end of life, this will take precedence at all times and it'll come up again and again and again and it will when we have a chance to get angry we'll find ourselves being mindful instead when we have a chance to to get greedy instead we'll find ourselves being mindful and especially at the moment of death when we die our, our minds will be pure and if we're reborn 
will be reborn in a pure state, of course. If, if we're not reborn, if, if our minds are completely pure, it's possible to become an arahant at the moment of death. And the final one is if there's nothing we've done that's very, very significant, then there's also the, the chance that just some karma comes to us. Because at the moment of death, one of three things occurs. We see some karma that we've done. Something that we've done during our life flashes before our eyes that we grasp onto. Or a sign of that karma. Maybe we don't see the karma, but we suddenly see something like maybe we see a knife in the case where we were a butcher or a, hunt, a murderer or so on. And number three is a sign of where we're going, a sign of a destination which we then hold on to and we follow after. And this is very clear in, during the meditation. You don't have to die to, to believe this sort of thing. It's very clear during meditation how this happens. When you're meditating, sometimes you remember karma that you've done, sometimes you see a sign, some people see blood, I think this is very common where a meditator suddenly their mind is fill, filled with this, this picture of blood or so on because of bad things they've done. Uh, and, and sometimes we, we, we get a glimpse of the future. I don't know, I suppose this is maybe not so common during meditation. I can't think of, of whether or not this is something which comes up often, but certainly at the moment of death it's possible that you suddenly see where you're headed. Of course, this is, this is possible in a way during meditation where uh, you suddenly realize that if you keep doing this, you're heading in a bad direction. But I think at the moment of death, what they say is suddenly there's a picture of a new life which you then follow after. And so it goes in this order. It goes according to these four types of karma. The last section is maybe the most interesting and the most uh, informative is that not all karma in and of itself gives a result. The karma that gives a result in and of itself is called janaka karma. This is karma which gives a result uh, as a result. It's a creative karma, a karma which gives birth to results. So when we do a, an evil deed or we do a good deed and it gives a result, when we, we uh, give something to someone and it makes us feel happy, or we uh, hurt someone and it makes us feel unhappy. This is the first kind. The second kind is a upatham, upatambaka, uh, I can't remember, upatambaka karma, I think. It means something which, uh, a karma which supports. So it supports another karma to happen. So for instance, sometimes we do some good deeds and as a result, it influences our ability to get other things. It influences uh, some other karma allowing it to give fruit. When we're, uh, suppose that we have helped someone out with something and then later on we help them out again or we help them out and they're able to remember the good things we did in the past. Now, as we continue to do good things for someone, eventually they realize based on all of this supportive karma for instance, suddenly they want to help us uh, because of the, the increase in the good karma. So karma is a cum cumulative in this way. It supports other karmas to give results. Some karma is, is effective in 
uh, it's called upakata kam upakata kamma. Some some something like that. I'm not exactly clear. This is the karma which uh, which cuts off other karma, stops other karma from giving result. So, for instance, sometimes we're they say if you're you know you're born rich and powerful, sometimes you can do all sorts of evil things, and you don't get caught for them. And this is something sort of like that. It's because of the good karma that you have. For instance, if you've done done really good things for someone, any bad thing you do for them is often forgiven because of the good things, so it cancels it out. So you were very nice to them before, now you're not nice to them. When you were really nice to them, they were nice to you. When you do something mean and nasty to them, well, they're not angry at you, but suddenly they're not very nice to you anymore. You're, they're kind of ambivalent. And if you continue to do bad things, eventually it, it gets to the point where they are upset at you. But this is where good karma and bad karma, they can cancel each other out. So some people ask whether it's possible to do away with bad karma that we've done. And I think, yes, it is possible. You have to do lots of good karma uh, in return. For instance, if before you were, you were cruel and suddenly you know, do things out of kindness and helping, giving charity before you were a thief or so on, then you go and you give to poor people. Or uh, before you were cruel to animals and then you go and protect animals. Or so on. I think it very, it very much is possible to re, readjust the reality, and so this is something which Buddhists um, are very interested in doing. They undertake to uh, create new karma to offset the old bad karma. And number four is uh, something which diminish. It's diminishing karma. Upapilaka karma, I think, is called. This is karma which reduces the effect of other karma. And so this is similar to the uh, to the upakataka karma. This is where you know, someone is very kind to you because of things you've done to them, uh, but then other things you do, you're an angry person in general. So as they see you starting to get angry, they slowly, slowly lose their respect and their their kindness towards you, as an example. And of course, this this works in all aspects uh, in in terms of our. Uh, our physical and our mental uh, existence. So this is to understand that karma is a very intricate sort of thing and it's something which is very real. This is sort of helping us to understand that it's going on at all, at all times. This is not something theoretical. Karma is not something, not sort of a belief that Buddhists have. It's very much a law of nature which is tied in with the mind. It's hard to believe for people who don't understand the universe from the point of view of the mind because they've never really come to study reality. They think of reality as something uh, physical, something that you draw on paper, you draw three dimensions or so on, or you measure out different dimensions. Actually, the world is not three-dimensional. It's just that three dimensions describes the whole, is able to describe the physical reality. In fact, as Einstein, one of the things that Einstein did was show that it's actually not quite three-dimensional. And all that means is that three dimensions is just a, something that we use to describe physical space. But physical space itself re relies on, on physics, relies on matter, relies on rupa. So 
Uh, anyway, the, our understanding of reality in terms of the physical is not nearly complete. If we just understand reality as a physical thing, this isn't a complete understanding of reality. So when we practice meditation, we come to see the other side and the laws of nature, which have to do with the mind, which are totally unexplored by science because they're considered unscientific, they're considered subjective. So we have this disdain towards anything which comes from within as being subjective. Right? We say, what you see is not real because it relies on the eyes. You're not able to see the reality of the atoms and the space in between the atoms and, and so on. So what you're seeing is not real. Right? <laughs> you see, it's a whole different way of looking at things. From the point of view of Buddhism, it's totally the opposite. What they see is not real. What we see is real is the seeing is real. It's clear that you're seeing something. And when you see something, you think it's this. When you think it's this, you like it or you don't like it, and so on. And there's all these many things that, uh, that are very real, that arise. And they're very scientific. It's not that I, my mind works in one way, your mind works in another way. The mind actually works in a very... Uh, orderly fashion. And so the Lord Buddha gave us this scientific method for understanding the mind. And this is the practice of Vipassana meditation. When we practice Vipassana meditation, we come to understand much about karma. And it's a very important part. Some people misunderstand the Lord Buddha's teaching about how we, in, we give up karma. In the end, we don't have any good or evil. And so they say even doing good deeds is, is something which uh, makes you be born again. And it's not really a fair thing to say. I mean, it's true that if your only interest is in doing good deeds, you know, giving charity or being moral or so on, then clearly it's not enough to become enlightened. But there's nothing about doing these good things that gets in the way of your spiritual progress. People misunderstand this because they see people uh, becoming attached to, to good deeds. When you, become, when, you, when you become attached to a deed, it's clearly not a good deed. When you give something, if you think, yes, I have, and then I'm going to, now I'm going to be rich as a result, I'm going to go to heaven or so on, this isn't a good deed. All of a sudden it becomes a greed. And this is what allows someone to be reborn. When we do good deeds, we do them for the purpose of supporting our meditation practice. When I do this, my mind will become clearer. When I, my mind becomes clearer, I'll be able to practice better. So we're very in, intent on doing good deeds. I think I'd like to uh, maybe uh, take the opportunity to invite everyone that on, on my birthday we'll be giving, we'll be doing some, uh, some uh, charity and so on. And we'll be, yeah, there's, there'll probably be some opportunity for people to come and to see and to maybe see an example of how a Buddhist birthday goes. We can see that this is very important. It's something which gives us great happiness and peace to, to be uh, charitable as an example. Uh, and of course, things like keeping morality, we can see how this is very important, a very important karma. Uh, and it's something which is very real, something which we have to keep in mind at all times, that everything we do is, karmic, is potentially karmically potent and is potentially able to give, us result, to give results to either get in the way of our practice or to support our practice. If it's something that we don't realize, we end up doing things which we think are harmless or it's only you know, 
it's only a little or so on. We don't realize that it, it is the, has the potential to really get in the way of our spiritual progress. So we should give, bring about this understanding of, of the potency of, of everything that we do, everything that we say, even everything that we think, everything that goes through our minds. When greed arises, it's very karmic. It changes who we are. When anger arises, it changes who we are. When delusion arises, it changes who we are. When mindfulness arises, it changes who we are. Starting with the mind and eventually echoing out into the body and changing our physical reality. So this is the Dhamma for today. Thank you for listening. Have everyone go back to your practice. First we do mindful prostration and then walking and then sitting.